RadioInfluence.com. What is up, everyone? Welcome into a new episode of the MA Report Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Foy. As always, I'm joined by Daniel Galvan, who clearly went and saw the barber. If you're watching this on video, you can see uh, the head of lettuce has, has taken definitely a big trim. Yeah, man. Uh, about once or twice a year, I do do my annual voyage to the barber uh, just to, um, you know, so I don't look like a caveman. So, uh, yes, Jason, for the next few weeks, I will actually look like a business professional with the uh, short haircut. You know, yeah, I, uh, I feel like a new man. It's an easy way to lose five pounds. I, I feel like, you know, outside looking in where you get a little pressure from the girl to cut the hair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, uh, you know, not only from the girl, but all the girls in my life, my mom, my grandma, everyone, it's, it's, uh, they're like, what are you doing, man, what kind of crisis are you going through, I'm just, I'm just a man who likes my long hair, and I appreciate hair, and I realize that it goes, you know, it's not as thick as it once was, it, get out of the shower, and I do see a couple bald spots, you know, I, uh, I'm hesitant to cut it because I'm so thankful that it's still here. I, I know it'll be gone soon. Look, I'm a short hair kind of guy. Like it, it starts getting long around the ears. I got to go see the bar. We got to get trimmed up, uh, you know, but I, I, I can't deal with the long hair. But I like, look, I look at the family history among the men in the Floyd uh, regime, and I understand I got to enjoy this head, of, this head of hair while I have it because at some point I, I know. And I, I look at older photos. I'm like, yeah, the hairline's definitely going back. But, uh, of course, uh, we're recording this here on Thursday morning, July the 6th, just a couple of days away from UFC 290. Of course. Uh, the July 4th weekend just passed and uh, you know I mentioned last week on the podcast that last weekend I was going to take some time off and, and live life and uh, had, had a good time had, had uh, me in the bottle uh, we had we had uh, some good times this weekend what was your favorite part of your July the 4th weekend dude we uh Saturday night we went down to downtown St. Petersburg and kind of uh you know bar hopped around and and, and had a good old time you know it's uh that was a fun time but yeah it, you know I, I talked about you know and and what and kind of give people a, a peek of the, the behind the podcast me and Daniel have really talked about is while we understand this is a mixed martial arts podcast like we want to be transparent about everything that's going on with us you know and uh, you know look it's uh some things have happened with me over the past couple of months good and bad and uh, you know for me it's just like i'm just gonna live life i'm gonna enjoy life and you know and and there's a there's a core group of people around me that uh you know that they're ready for they're ready for the the roller coaster and and the the fun part of this and and that's what it to me is and the crazy thing is i talked about that on podcast last week and that night i'm at the bar and one of the guys said to me he was living life huh i go oh you listen to pod yeah that is awesome that is awesome you know uh I, I'm jealous of you living life because I'm out here working on a Tuesday on July the 4th. You're out here living life, you know, in St. Petersburg. And I'm out here working, man, for, for, the, for the man. But uh, I at least enjoy my job. It's a fun job, you know, I work in the news industry. So what I did was I went out and I recorded people living their lives. I went out to the beach and uh, recorded everyone enjoying, having a good time. So many drunk people. Um my biggest concern on July the 4th was that uh, a drunk person would get on live television and say something that would get me fired. So uh, basically the way it works is when I have my reporter live, as soon as she's live, I'm looking all around. And if I see someone that looks like they're going to jump in, my first line of action is to give them a really mean look. 
My second line of action is to shoot a double leg takedown before they enter the frame, but thankfully we didn't get there. Yeah, man. But by, by the time Tuesday got here, I was like, okay, we it, it's time to wind down a little bit. That's what that's what my buddy Chris says, like, because we're we're going to the Rays game tonight. And I said, I was like, hey, man, uh, yeah, I gotta take a night off, man. I I, I need a day of recovery because uh, it it was it was fun, man. You know, and and there's you know and. Very same I'm, sure, I'm sure you weren't the only one this July the 4th weekend, right? Because you celebrate the weekend on Saturday and Sunday, and then it's like, oh, crap, Monday and Tuesday possibly? I It, it became a four-day weekend, so for so many people, I'm sure they had fun on the weekend, and they're like, man, on Tuesday, I just kind of feel like, you know, not drinking that much, you know, just eating a couple of dogs in the grill or maybe a burger or two and watch the pretty fireworks. And, uh, yeah, it we, was a we, long weekend, man. We went out and on, on the fourth and just, we had a, we had a burger and, and shot some darts. And I think I had like two beers. I'm like, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. You know, but it was fun, man. It was fun, man. And, uh, you know, and, and look for me, it's about enjoying life. And, um, I, I will tell you before the weekend started, I, I did an interview with Jay Perrin, the now former UFC fighter. Of course, people can check that out right on, on the Amirport YouTube channel. And, you know, it's one of those things of a big thing for me in these conversations I have with fighters today is like, I, I want to have real conversations, you know, not just like the, the typical fighter interviews you see everywhere. And one of the things on Jay Perrin's social media, whether it was on his Instagram or his TikTok, is I really noticed that he was really, you know, talking about mental health. And of course, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about you know, the month of June. And it was really, it was a fascinating conversation to have and, you know, and various things that are going on with me. And, you know, and, and Jay talked about, you know, how mental health is. And, and the other thing is that he really t- talked to me about was, the fact of he had to cut 38 pounds to make weight for the Raul Rosas fight. And he said, he goes, he goes, the reason I shaved my head was to make weight. He goes, that was the only way I was going to be able to make weight. And and in the interview, if if people have not checked it out, he actually talks about that. uh, You know, he really was in, in a bad mental place. And I thought it, and it's really just a big thing for me about having these, these real conversations and, you know, and, and, and kind of getting to know what, what's going on in that fighter's life. And, and also, I think, in a way for me to, to open up about things I'm going through as well. That is a, that is a crazy, crazy statistic that he dropped that many pounds. Because that was a bantamweight belt. Yeah, which, now, now, yeah, his next fight, which is coming up here uh, in, in two weeks from now, is in Cage Titans, and he's fighting at forty-five. And he kind of he alluded to the fact of you know the people around him think that hey, your chance to get back to the big show, he best at thirty-five. But he's also like, man, like you know, you, you don't want to put your body so much. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the math on hand, but I feel like thirty-eight pounds for Jay Perrin during that situation was almost a quarter of his body weight uh probably a little less because it's 38 plus 136 so then you divide 38 by that so maybe it's like 20 percent. but that's a lot that's a lot but that sounds like a great conversation uh people should check out all of the interviews you do with fighters it's a little bit of a different type of interview it's a better type of interview and uh, you can check it out on the on the uh, spotify Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube. Also, you clip them out. I, I love listening I, to them. 
I tell I tell people all this all the time, man. Like I don't like like my prep for fighter interviews is I just go to their social media account and I try to see like you know hey what's going on in their life and j- try to make something different. You know you mentioned about uh, a stat and I found this very interesting stat over on Reddit this morning, and it was MMA finish rates by promotion in 2023. So this was through June 30th, and the thing that really stuck out to me is where Bellator is in relation to the other notable promotions. So one championship has had 43 finishes with a 59.7% finish rate. PFL, they've also had 43 finishes. There's a a 58.1%. The UFC, obviously a ton more fights, 123 uh, finishes, 49%. But then what stuck out to me is Bellator is only at 39.4%. 41 finishes and like that number on on the outside looking in daniel that shocked me because well we we joke about the bellator prelims calling it the human sacrifice hour typically it is all all these fish happen but like to me to see that bellator is nearly 10 percent lower than the ufc and 20 percent lower than one championship and pfl that just really stuck out to me yeah i mean that's a really big deal in terms of that's a major difference that's shocking and surprising and there could be a couple different factors one factor you can certainly look at is maybe there's just a lot less sample size for bellator so it allows for an aberration like that that's one possibility the other thing is when i do think of bellator man a lot of those main cards do have decisions like i'm starting to look at bellator 297 and romero and every fight on the main card was a decision you know i go to bellator 296 all but one of the fights on the main card was a decision go to bellator 295 now you're 50 50. bellator 294 you have three decisions two finishes so i think you're looking at the main cards sometimes those really long prelims are mostly finishes but sometimes there's a lot of decisions on those prelims and those prelims have like 14 fights on there and maybe when it's the human sacrifice hour it can go the distance if both fighters are very young and green and mm-hmm. still learning the game. So maybe that plays a role, but that's surprising, especially when you think of the reputation Scott Coker had in Strike Force. He was putting together a lot of mismatches to highlight fighters. And that's kind of what you've seen out of PFL lately is like a Strike Force type matchup where it's like clear, oh, Shane Burgos is going to finish Yamato Nishika- uh, Nishikawa. That's a fight that's set up for him to win. That's what we would see at a Scott Coker and Strike Force, but maybe that speaks to the fact that in 2023, Scott has kind of moved away from that type of matchup, at least on the main card. I think Gareth also thing is Bellator's just not doing a lot of cards. I mean, and and there's a lot of rumors out there about Bellator right now and what their their future could be. But when I saw that overall on the MMA Red, it was something that really stuck out to me. There's another thing we'll talk about on MMA Reddit towards the end of the show. That's gonna be our WTF moment of the week. But you know, I mentioned about, you know, there's things in our lives that we're grateful for. One of the things I'm grateful for is on Saturday night, I get to watch what I believe is going to be a great UFC pay-per-view, UFC. 290 obviously the two title fights stylistically i love this main event of what the main event could be here of course we got the third matchup now between pantoja and moreno of course obviously brand moreno a much different fighter now than what he was during their first meeting on the ultimate fire course so they, they had another meeting here then we got a matchup that 
obviously plays a huge role of what could be next for for Izzy of Whitaker and Duplessis. Jalen Turner, Dan Hooker, I think should be a fun matchup. Of course, uh, Bo Nichols going to kick off the pay-per-view. Of course, initially supposed to take on Treshawn Gore. Treshawn Gore has a wrist injury where he put on his Instagram stories that he's going to try to do some stem cell uh, recovery for this wrist injury, uh, but looking he could be out six months could potentially be out a year due to that injury. Uh, also, you got the retirement matchup or retirement matchup for Robbie Lawler against Nico Price. Uh, you got Jack Dallas, Madalena, another great prospect the UFC has. Of course, he has a new opponent as well, Josiah Harrell. Stepping up here on short notice. Uh, Jimmy Crew, Alonzo Menafield, they're going to run it back after that draw they had. Uh, in both of their last matchups there. But, I mean, Daniel, I mean, I just think overall this is a great lineup that we're getting on Saturday night. Yeah, and this is a lineup that's already faced some issues, and it's it's still really, really good. You know, we lost Bo Nichols' opponent earlier in the week, and he has a replacement. And the good thing is that fight isn't about it being a good fight. That fight's just about Bo Nichols highlighting his talents. We also lost, you know, Jack Della Madalena was supposed to take on Sean Brady, and that was a really awesome fight. So now we get in a replacement. He's taking on Josiah Harrell, which is just a massive downgrade from Sean Brady. Other than that, this fight card is really, really good. And the fight nights that we get each and every week make us value these pay-per-views. Because, you know, we saw a fight night this past week, and we may dig into it when we get into the middleweights where you had two to three really good fights that you cared about, and the rest were just okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just some fights, as Ben Folks likes to say. Well, this week we finally have some good fights, and uh, you you nailed it, man. There's so much to look forward to. In addition to what you mentioned, I mean, I'm excited for Yasmin Urigi to see her fight at women's strawweight. I mean, she, to me, screams future title challenger if she fortifies her aggressiveness – She's very aggressive, so she leaves herself open. But this is an undefeated, hard-hitting fighter who's finished seven of her ten fights by KO slash TKO. Sign me up for Yasmin Jurigi. And she is literally like the eighth most interesting fight on this fight card. So that tells me we are in store for a good one on Saturday. Yeah, and she's only 24 years old, so obviously the sky's the limit there. You know, I mentioned about the Bo Nichols situation. I wonder how many fighters turn that down before they got to him. I got to imagine that if you are a fighter currently on the UFC roster, there probably wasn't a lot of guys willing to step up unless the UFC was willing to throw a ton of money. So here, that's why you're going to get a newcomer here. Um, you know, and, and I think we're going to see a kind of a bit of a size difference when these two guys do their face off on the uh, ceremonial weigh-ins because Bo Nichols six, one Val is only five foot eight. So I think you're going to see a little bit there, you know, I, before we kind of get into the, you know, the, the main car, looking at the prelims here and, and I was thinking about Robbie Lawler, you know, obviously retirement matchup here for him here this week. And, you know, obviously this is not the Robbie Lawler of five or, or six years ago. It's a different version of Robbie Lawler. Stylistically, this should be a fun matchup. But I, I was thinking about, like, to me, when I think of Robbie Lawler, the, the first thing, like, when I think about his career, the Rory McDonald and, and that kind of iconic moment after the fourth round where they're both staring at each other. There's the Carlos Condit fight um, as well, I think, is another iconic moment. Is there another iconic moment for you in terms of Robbie Lawler? Oh, let me look down his resume. Uh, let's see, in Strike Force, what stuck out to me? Uh, I mean, the fight against Scott Smith was something I, I think about right away. Uh, iconic Robbie Lawler moment. His, I feel like he had an amazing fight against Melvin Manhoff. 
that I also remember. Uh, his initial run in the UFC was amazing, the way he put out Josh Koscheck, uh, the way he was able to win the UFC championship, defended a couple of times. I think about his initial UFC run, and I think the fight in particular, I think about it is the fight against Nick Diaz at UFC 47. Mm-hmm. And I think those are kind of the big moments I think of. I mean, for me, the biggest strike force memory, it wasn't a good fight, but it was a fight. Him versus Jake Shields was a fight that had a lot of hype. This was a matchup between two guys from uh, two different weight classes that was fought at 180, and it was a fight I was excited for in the time, and it wasn't that exciting. Jake didn't make it that exciting, but Jake did win. Overall, for Robbie Lawler, I think of him as, as, a, as a you know one of those OG Militich guys, an OG UFC fighter with his initial run. And one of those fighters you think of that had that beautiful story in the back nine of their career that after fighting for a very long period of time gives hope to any fighter who's a veteran today that you can become a champion. Just like how Michael Bisping became a champion. Robbie was another one to do it. And again, he was able to defend that championship a couple times. So Robbie Lawler is someone I look at and I just say he is a guaranteed Hall of Famer and one of the most important welterweights of all time and one of the most exciting strikers and hardest hitters in the UFC's promotions history. And of course his fight with Roy McDonald goes into the hall of fame this week. I was actually kind of surprised I wasn't already in the hall of fame. Um, you know, I, I heard, you know, and, and when I heard someone talking about that earlier this week, I was like, if I signed the hall of fame already, I, I was, I was just kind of surprised uh, by that one. I mean, I mean, look, I, I think, you know, Nico price is probably going to come forward. I mean, I understand why Nico price is a minus two fifty betting favorite in this one. Um, but, uh, I, I would, that'd be one of those fights. I wouldn't want to lay Nestle money on. Maybe, maybe you just go the under two and a half rounds. We'll make a bet here. Uh, Jack Della Madeline, his matchup against Josiah Harrell. Uh, Harold, a training partner, Matt Brown. I mean, look, I, I think if he's going to pull off an upset here, I think it's going to be just him out grappling Jack Della Madalena, but I don't expect that to happen. I think Jack Della Madalena goes out there and probably gets, I mean, you, you mentioned about Yasmin. I think that's a, that's a, a sneaky under the radar kind of banger fight because I think those two girls will go out there and, and will bang it out there. Uh, Jimmy Crew, Alonzo Minfield, of course, we saw that uh, earlier this year. Uh, matchup where uh, Alonzo Minifield knocks him down twice, nearly finishes him, gets deducted a point in the third round when he's uh, when he was trying to stop a takedown. Um, that one is a, is a matchup to me is uh, Jimmy Crew. Of course, that um, leading his first match with Minifield was the first time coming off a, a knee injury. He'd been out fourteen months. I mean, look if Jimmy Crew's going to win this one, to me he's going to utilize his grappling. If Alonzo Minifield uh, wins this one, I think he knocks him out within ten minutes. But that's one. Uh, but like as you look at but if you look at the early prelims, the Guy, even though he's a 10 to 1 betting favorite, Tatsu Tara is a guy you have to pay attention to. Yeah, you know, I love me some Tatsu Tara. All right. I mean, this is matchup is going to be a catch weight, but he's a very excited flyweight. You know, I love me some exciting flyweights. Uh, Tatsuro represents the Japanese male fighter with the greatest chance of becoming a star and on the UFC roster. And it's been a very long time since we've had someone like that. I mean, the last time in the UFC, it was probably Kyoji Horiguchi, but he didn't hit at the same level that Takanori Gomi, I think, hit during his big run in Pride. Didn't hit the same way that Shinya Aoki hit in his big run in Japanese MMA. 
So I really hope Tetsuro has a, a successful career because I love it when they are really good Japanese fighters that are stars in their homeland. And I would love it if the UFC would return and run a card in Japan. So Tatsuru mm-hmm. uh, represents someone that can really lift the tide. And there's a couple other Japanese fighters on the horizon. A lot of them fight in one of seen Ryzen. But uh, they're young, they're talented, they're good. And I think Tatsuro is going to get that first round submission. The rest of the prelims really don't do anything for me on the early prelims, Jason. It's all about those prelims that are on a on a right before the main card. And um, I'm, I'm hoping Alonso Menafield wins. Only because I say that only because that means the fight's better. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Jimmy Crew. If Alonzo Menafield wins, that means we probably got to finish, like you said. Jack Dylan Maddalena is going to win that fight in the first round, um, I think. That's not some crazy prediction. I'm no. going to root for Robbie Lawler. I'm going to pick him. But I can see what you were saying. Firstly, like Robbie, I'm pretty sure his only win over somebody who's not retired at this point is probably like Matt Brown. Uh, maybe there's a couple others that I'm missing. Uh, he has not looked good in a very long time, but he still hits really hard. I could see Nico overwhelming him with volume, but I have a feeling this fight's going to play out on the feet. And if Robbie feels comfortable there, I'm going to root for him to get that victory. But, Jason, you know, there's a lot of fights with wide odds. And let's not forget, you know, this past weekend, we saw a major upset. We saw freaking Elvis Brenner upset Garam Kuta Tiladze in that third round after getting beat up. So, like, we saw uh, Benoit Saint-Denis upset Ismail Bonfin. So we have seen massive upsets just seven days ago. Surely there will be a massive upset. You know, will it be Val Woodburn upsetting Bo Nickel? Will it be Josiah Harrell upsetting Jack Della Madalana? Will it be Denise Gomez upsetting Yasmin Urigi? I don't know. But usually every week when we have a couple of wide matchups, there might be one person playing the role of spoiler. It'll be interesting to see if someone does that and who the hell it's going to be. I mean, who is the fighter that you think is most likely to be upset if you're looking at the wide odds? You can't say the main event. I know the odds are wide in the main event, but Yair as a pick is is, is a cheap out because I feel like Yair is a real live dog there. I, I, I will, We'll talk about this a little in, in a moment. I think the Pantoja as an underdog is, is something that, that sticks out to me. Um, That's plus, a cheap out. He's already beat him twice. No, but, but look, they're they're both two totally different guys. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. you know, as I, I look at the underdogs here, Drake is two pluses, three to one underdog. We'll talk about this match in, in a moment. You know, look, if you tell me this fight's over within – seven and a half minutes, I probably think it's Drake is two pluses. If you tell me that fight hits the third round, to me it's Robert Wicker's fight all day long. Um, I do not like Dan Hooker in, in the spot against Jalen Turner. I think Jalen Turner is going to offer him a lot of issues. Um, I mean, look, I, I think Bo Nickel will, will go down and, and take one down. I'll tell you, so, you know, I like to play the props over at Prize Picks, and so I want to see if this if this prop has moved at all, and I'll get you get your thoughts. It's a really low number on significant strikes landed for Bo Nickel. Let me see. Uh, it is 10 and a half is the significant strike number. Would you go more or less 10 and a half strikes for Bo Nickel? How many? Do you know what the number was for his debut in the UFC? Do you, he's never landed 10 significant strikes in a fight. Yeah, I guess I got to go under because, yeah. I mean, so, would burn is not impressive as, as an opponent. His first contender series fight, he landed two. His second contender series fight, he landed five. His UFC debut, he landed one. That's crazy. I mean, 
Look, if you literally take his three UFC fights, the two contender series and the UFC debut, put it all together, it's still under five minutes. Um, yeah, you got to go under. What's the uh, betting odds for under on that? Uh, the under one and a half? Let me look here. I'm I, sorry. I, no, 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 no. The betting odds for 10 significant strikes. Oh, you just got to go more or less. And no, but like, what is it? Plus, like, minus 110? No, because what you have to do is you have to play, uh, it's it's player props. So you have to have at least two props together. I mean, you would, I would pick under. I mean, I'm just trying to pull up to see what is the under one and a half rounds. It's got to be juice to the gills, I would imagine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, both special. I mean, who knows? Both could get upset. We've seen things like that happen. Yeah, but there's both no special. Yeah, no book has put a, a line. I mean, the only only prop that's out there via best fight odds um, is over via bet 365, which has Bo Nickel wins by decision plus 750. I'm surprised that number's not higher. I don't know, because the idea that Bo's going to – oh, higher. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I don't think he's winning a decision any no, day no. of the week. I mean, there's no way. There's – Dude, if he wins a decision, Val Woodburn should get a championship fight, you know, even if he loses. That would be so impressive for him, uh, for anybody to go and survive Bo Nickel because, again, Bo looks insane. Like, he looks really, really insane. He looks like the truth. Every year we get a couple hyped prospects. Mm -hmm. Every year they fail. Bo's different. He just fights different he's more successful he has a higher level of confidence and the reason why he's different is probably because of his work ethic in addition to all of his raw talent he fights like a guy who does the work when no one's watching in addition to his athleticism and that's why i think he's gonna be a champion one day and it starts you know on saturday with val woodburn who i had no idea he existed on this planet until this morning <laughs> when i looked at the run sheet so I will tell you, there are four favorites that <clears throat> I have a lot of faith in this weekend. Tara, Saman, Nickel, Madalena. Tara, he gets your back. It's over. I mean, he, he's going to lock it in. Even if you put those four fighters together, you still can't get plus money on a parlay. That's still minus 204. You know, so that, that's where you can't make money. And, and the reason I, I like Cameron against Terrence Mitchell is never, never bet on someone who comes from the Alaska FC system. It's just a rule. You should you shouldn't go there. <laughs> you're telling me that there aren't that many great. Um, you're telling me that Alaska FC isn't the uh, isn't the uh, the the proving grounds of the future champions of the UFC. You're telling me it might be um, an expansion brand of the Explode Fight series. There's been a lot of bad fighters who come out there. I mean, I, I think your most noble fighters that have fought in Alaska FC will be Jared Cannier and Lauren Murphy. And that's it. But it's well, it's let's just that. say it's kind of known that uh, yeah a lot of uh, one sided matchups in, in the last FC. Well, I'm trying to remember that dude who was on the Ultimate Fire that was from Alaska, like the first season. I feel like his name was like Sam Hagar or something. Sam uh, Hoger. I, I want to feel like assassin. he got knocked out like in 30 seconds or something like that. Yeah, Sam Hoger, the Alaskan assassin. He's 43 years old. So only two years older than Robbie Lawler, and he ended his career. On a four-fight win streak in 2010. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, his most notable losses are to uh, Rashad Evans, Leota Machida, and Stefan Bonner. But he won on the uh, Ultimate Fighter finale against the one and only Mr. Mr. I'm going to pee on your sleeping bag, Bobby Southworth. 
Right? He did that, right? Bobby Southworth peed on somebody's sleeping bag. Did I get that wrong? Is that fake I, news? I believe yeah, I believe you're right on that one. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks if that's your reputation. But hey man, if you have people that are people are recording you with the camera and it's gonna be on television, and that's the time you decide to pee on somebody, right? Like I'm not I'm not gonna kink shame anyone. If you're into peeing on somebody, that's fine in the privacy of your own home. But you're going to pee on someone when they're literally recording you and broadcasting on the world so your grandma can see it? Yeah. It's a tough watch. It's a tough yeah, no, watch. Yeah, no, no. I, I think we can maybe talk also about the ultimate fire a little bit later on. Shoot, I don't it, know it, anything about the ultimate fire because I have not been watching that crap. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not good for Team McGregor. Let's just say that. <laughs> not, are, they still, are they still not want to fight? Oh, and six. Oh my God! <laughs> I, here, here is the most hilarious thing. I, I saw Michael Chandler talking about it, and so you know, Kurt Hallwell wins it there late, and they thought that you know, hey, Kurt was going to lose, and so the next fight was like literally right after that fight, and kind of giving a little inside secrets here on the show. And he said, he goes, I told my coaches, hey man, just go on back go uh, work with Jason Knight and get him ready for his matchup. But yeah, yeah, team Team Connor, zero and six. Oh my God. I think we might see the first ever sweep. Two more fights to go. The Kurt Holobo fight was the one I kind of had circled as the upset because that was uh, Chandler's fourth pick versus Connor's one, and that's essentially the last pick versus the first pick. So uh, the, that's crazy. I don't know whether it not it's true, but the one rumor was that Connor left before filming ended. To me, that's not true. That's an effing guarantee. <laughs> Having watched the fact that he literally showed up late yeah, I mean, Connor does what he wants, right? Like, Connor can talk about, like, all his, like, discipline and work ethic. He doesn't have any discipline anymore. He doesn't. It just it shows up. Right. It's it's facts. He is a guy who was probably really disciplined and trained so hard. He trained so hard, I can't even comprehend how hard he trained to get to the heights that he did. It's really hard to be that disciplined your entire life. And Connor is cratering. Connor doesn't have respect for those fighters if he left early because that just sucks. And yeah, I guarantee you it's a short period of time, too. It's probably like four weeks that they did that show, maybe six weeks. Yeah, I but think I know usually, they jam pack those. I think they usually earmark like six weeks for taping, I want to say. But I mean, like, it's one of those things of, and of course, you know, the infamous moment of this previous episode is where Connor pushes Chandler and that whole incident. And. I just I keep thinking about everything that's going on in the story and going, if you're Michael Chandler, are you going to sit there and ultimately regret doing this? Because I don't know if this fight ever happens. And and that's why I mean I obviously if you're Chandler, you're chasing the potential bag in this matchup, no doubt about it. But I'm I'm starting to sit there and go, man, I just don't know if it ever happens. I mean, Connor's yeah. still not you saw a drug testing pool. <sighs> I, I feel bad for Chandler right now. Yeah, I mean, I do too. I'm sure he does regret it. I doubt the fight's going to happen. Connor's not interested in fighting people when it's legal at this point in time. If it's illegal and he can assault somebody, he's all fair game. But if it's legal, he doesn't want to do it. Probably because they're going to drug test him because, you know. So, yeah, look, you look at Chandler. He is mid to late 30s. He should be fighting right now, mm -hmm. right? You imagine if Alexander Volkanovsky took a walk for a couple of years. He's in the prime of his career, 34 years old, having an ability to 
fortify himself as the best featherweight of all time. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I was listening to a couple of their MMA podcasts over, over the last 24 hours, and I was really surprised that this has not been like a talking point leading into this matchup of, you know, Volk being, you know, you know, passing whether you think it's Max Holloway or whether you think it's Jose Aldo. Like, to me, Volk's got to be right there. Yeah, he absolutely is. Look at how many times he's defended that featherweight championship. Look at how long he's held that championship. It's been nearly four years. Yes, the last time we saw him, he went up and weight and lost to Islam Mahachev, but that really shouldn't affect his legacy at featherweight. I think that maybe the issue for Max, I mean, for Volkanovski is the fact that he fought Max Holloway three times. So when you look at his featherweight championship resume, it's three Max fights, it's a Korean zombie fight, mm-hmm. and it's a fight against Brian Ortega. And that's his entire run. Now, you look before his featherweight championship, and uh, he's got some of the most impressive non championship wins ever over Jose Aldo and Chad Mendez, two featherweight greats. But the one really cool thing about the fact that Volk has fought Max three times is if he conti- if he successfully beats Yair, there are so many fresh matchups that we've never seen before for him as champion at featherweight. Volkanovski versus Arnold Allen. Volkanovski versus Ilya Tapuria. Maybe down the line, Volkanovski versus Calvin Cater. You know, these are fights we have not seen because he's been fighting Max for so long. But yes, Volkanovski is a part of the big three when we talk about the best featherweights of all time. It's Holloway. It's Volkanovski. It's Jose Aldo. And the difference between Volk and the other two, Volk to me is the most well-rounded featherweight we've ever seen. You know, the, the, I'll throw a crazy stat out here is, so when you think of Volkanovski, you think of a shorter guy in this division. He's five foot six. Rodriguez, on the other hand, is five foot eleven. Now, here, here's where the crazy stat comes in. Volk has a seventy-one and a half inch reach. Yair has seventy-one. That's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. When you look at the weigh-ins, you look at these two guys squaring up, and you tell me Volkanovski has a slight reach advantage. I would say, damn, you've been hanging out with Snoop Dogg. That is crazy. I, bro, um, it's going to show would, up I in would, the boxing. Bro, I would love to smoke with Snoop. You would, but you would also probably have to go to the hospital. I mean, that'd be like smoking. Oh, 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 there would, there would be no other plans for the rest of the day. But I'm telling you what, like, if you sat there and said you could smoke with Snoop's up there, Willie Nelson would be up there. I don't even know who would be number three. Probably just some combination of Cheech and Chung. Yeah, um, would probably be number three. Or maybe, maybe I mean Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan would be like, "Bro, you gotta try these shrooms or like something else." You know, you gotta go to this darkness retreat. But um, to, to speak to what you mentioned about the reach, I mean, that's why Volkanovski to me is gonna be the better boxer. If these two are standing and training on the feet, Volk I think is gonna win. Obviously, it's clear. Yair is a different type of striker than most dudes. I mean, this guy uses kicks like no other. He's very creative. He can throw people off their game, fighting in and out of range. If Yair dictates what happens on the feet, if he gets a little freaky with his stand-up, yeah, he can win this fight. He looked amazing against Josh Emmett. So it's certainly possible. I kind of think the wrestling is going to not be a factor in this fight, and I do think this is going to be a 25-minute stand-up contest. I could be wrong, but that's my gut instinct. 
Well, obviously, with Yair Rodriguez, it's the unorthodox strikes. And, and I believe uh, Blood Diamond's actually been one of the big training partners for Volkanovski for this one to prepare him for. I mean, obviously, you know, people can joke about Blood Diamond's an MMA fighter, but this guy is an accomplished kickboxer. So, I mean, he, he's got to be ready for the unorthodox attacks that Yair Rodriguez is going to bring. I think Yair will emphasize a heavy kick game into this one. But I just I just see this fight. I mean, I think it's it's... It's closer to me than the betting odds indicate where you're talking about Volkanovski is approaching a 4-1 to betting favorite in this one. But I just see Volkanovski really utilizing a pressure game, and I think that he lands takedowns in this match. I missed about prize picks. The prop over on prize picks right now is three takedowns for Volkanovski. I think it's a really good number. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes over that number. Uh, but I, I like Volkanovski in this matchup, but you can't discredit Yair Rodriguez uh, for what he can do in this matchup. Absolutely. You can't. He is in the prime of his career and he's living up to all the potential he's had. I can't explain to you how great he looked last time out. He's an interim champion. He looked like a real champion. For Volkanovski, he lost for the first time in a very, very long time. How do you bounce back from that? How do you bounce back? Do you bounce back as a hungry, hungry fighter? Do you bounce back a little gun shy against the young, younger opponent who's looking like a killer? That's what makes this fight interesting. Yeah, I, if I lived in a state where you could gamble legally, I would put some money down on Yair Rodriguez. Because mm-hmm. when I look at the betting odds, the odds are way too wide in my opinion. That being said, I'm still taking Volk to retain. Yeah, I mean, I think Volk retains in, in this one, but to me, it's closer matchup. Now, the co-main event will be the trilogy matchup between Bram Moreno and, and Alexandria Pantoja. Pantoja, of course, won the first two matchups. Of course, initially back in 2016 on the Ultimate Fire, and then 2018 got a decision win against him. But obviously, Bram Moreno, a much different uh, fighter now than he was all the way back then. Of course, uh, it's it's nice to actually see Bram Moreno get uh, a different opponent than what we have seen uh, with him with all the matchups there against Diveson figure. Of course, Pantoja has been waiting around for this matchup, and uh, I saw one of the stories. Uh, I saw uh, Moreno was over on the MMA Hour yesterday talking about the issue with him, him and Cejudo. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's deeper than uh, the story that's out there. I will tell you that right now. I, I I have a good idea of what the major issue is, um, and, and yeah, it, it relies much deeper than Henry Cejudo uh, and, and Bram Moreno. But like, like to me, if you tell me one underdog is going to walk away. As a, and new on Saturday night. To me, Pantoja is the guy that sticks out there. I think likely this thing's going to go 25 minutes. But the one thing about Bram Moreno, though, is in all of his matchups, it seems like he deals with adversity in one way or another. Yeah, he uh, he's a fun fighter to root for. It's fun to see his journey, and it's fun to see him respond. And uh, he he's improved so much, too. I mean, his stand-up looks so great. This is an awesome fight. Yeah. It just is. It's ironic that Brandon goes from fighting Davison Figueredo forty-seven times to immediately fighting in another tr- in a trilogy matchup mm-hmm. against Pantoja. Um, it's crazy to me. I know these guys are different fighters, but it's still crazy that Pantoja's an underdog whenever he's beat Moreno twice. Um, Pantoja's a really good grappler, really good stand-up fighter. I think the stand-up's going to be in Brandon's favor. But, Jason, if I see that a man is 2-0 and against the other man and I pick the dude who's lost two times in a row, 
and I watch Saturday night and he loses a third time in a row, I'm going to feel like an idiot. So as much as I love Brandon Moreno, I'm going to have to pick Pantoja because he's beaten him twice. That's my only logic. Brandon, to me, looks like the better fighter now. But I'm just going to not do something that makes me feel stupid later. I'm going to pick Pantoja now. Maybe my logic's going to be Brandon's going to have a weight off his chest after finally getting through Davison. Let's let's let let's off the accelerator a little bit, and that's when Pantoja, who's got to be so hungry for a championship, has got to strike. I mean, think about his perspective. He's seen the guy he's beaten be known as the top guy in the weight class, and every day he goes to training knowing I beat that guy and I'm better than him. And finally, on Saturday, he has an opportunity to prove it. So I'm going Pantoja. Yeah, I mean, and it like. I feel like Moreno's likely going to win it. I, I think this fight's very close, but like from a, like a betting perspective, like I think if I'm looking to you know you know I'm looking to pick like say three or four underdogs in this card. Pantosha is one of those underdogs that I look at, but I think it should be a fantastic matchup. Of course, uh, we also got uh, what I, you know. I, not I wouldn't necessarily say it's a number one contender matchup, but because obviously Sean Strickland plays into this, Robert Whitaker and Drakus Duplessis. Uh, Duplessis got that nose fixed. And so I guess we're supposed to imagine that he's supposed to now have uh, this great gas tank, which uh, I want to see it before I believe it in terms of his this one. Um, Duplessis is a, a guy, and he even talked about it yesterday. I mean, he's got he's a guy that's going to go for right from the start. And uh, Robert Whitaker, I mean, look, since 2014, he's only lost one guy, and that's the champion, is he? I, I, to me, Whitaker, he's a, he should win this matchup. But, um, you know, obviously a lot of mileage on Robert Whitaker. If Duplessis is going to win this one, to me it's him storming Whitaker catching him within the first seven, eight minutes of this matchup. But to me, it's Robert Whitaker all day. But if you tell me Dracus Duplessis wins on Saturday night, walks out with no injuries, to me, it's no question that he will be next for Izzy. Yeah, that fight has been set up for a while now. Both these guys have been talking smack. It's a great fight. They have regional back and forth. Put that fight in Africa somewhere. Put that fight in Australia. But well, it would it would be for the the, the September pay per view, which is in it's in Australia. It's here, Australia or New Zealand. I think they should do it in Africa somewhere. I mean, South Africa. Oh um, uh, yeah, that that the two ninety three is September 9th, which is in Sydney. Yeah. But yeah, yes, yeah, yeah doing see, that in see. Africa would make all the sense in the world. But, um, but obviously that that's not going to happen this year. Now, now look, if Whitaker goes out there and wins, which is what I expect, I think Sean Strickland is going to be the natural guy to get the next title shot. Yeah, I think so too. He looked really good against uh, Magomedov on on uh, last week. I mean, yeah, Ab- Abus did win round one. But Sean just completely took him to the woodshed around two and put him. Yeah, he had, he had five minutes cardio. Yeah, yeah, and Sean took advantage of it. Sean did, and he's Sean's a phenomenal fighter. Um, I don't think he has a chance against Izzy Adesanya, but he's going to sell the fight really good. I mean, he's, he's a phenomenal promo. He's he's almost like a pro wrestler the way he talks, um, and he's like a pro wrestler from the '90s the way he the words that come out of his mouth. I uh, I think Strickland probably gets the fight for sure. I think he will get the fight because I think Whitaker's going to beat Drukas. I mean, the stat you put out there is crazy. Since 2014, nine years, nearly a decade, the only person Whitaker's lost to is Izzy. 
if Izzy doesn't exist, maybe we're talking about Robert Whitaker as the greatest middleweight of all time at this point. Yes. Like maybe we're talking about him as someone who has surpassed Anderson Silva. Um, yes, the mileage is an important factor, but not as important as the fact that Duplessis has looked really bad later in fights. Never fought anyone as talented as Whitaker. Not even close. I think Whitaker's going to survive any early onslaught and really take advantage in rounds two and three and put away Duplessis in round three. I like Robert Whitaker to win, but obviously Drinkus is an incredibly live dog with his stand-up. He's dangerous. He's powerful. These two could go in there and Drinkus could win in 35 seconds. I don't think that happens. I like Whitaker. Yeah, I like Whitaker to win this one. But uh, by the way, speaking of Sean Strickland, a, a photo emerged online yesterday that he taped a episode of the Joe Rogan podcast. I don't listen to a ton of Joe Rogan podcast. I'm going to listen to that episode because God knows what might come out of Sean Strickland's mouth. Yeah, he's going to say something crazy. Like, well, like, I mean, he, he if, might not even, he might get canceled. I mean, it's if possible. If you're Dana White, you're Hunter Campbell, you're Ari Emanuel. Like, you would have to be scared to death of Sean Strickland being your champion. If you're Dana White, I don't think he's scared to death of it. I think he loves it. I, I think Sean Strickland probably says half the things Dana White believes. Um, if you're Ari Emanuel, yeah, you probably don't want to see that happen. If you're Hunter Campbell, you probably don't want to see that happen. Dana White probably loves Sean Strickland. And I mean, he's a, he's a cool dude, like, other than, like, sometimes he says really offensive stuff. Uh but other than that, I, I like him. Like, like, yeah, like, there, there's, you know, especially you look at some of the stuff that's mean towards minorities. It's like, oh, that's messed up. That's really messed up. Don't say that. Um, because, like, I like you whenever you're just being you and being kind of funny and goofy. Don't say anything too stupid. Um, so that he be said nice. some stupid. He said some stupid shit last week. I don't even. Sometimes I don't. I don't. I don't hear it. Um, it's what? like it's one of those things of when you see a strong Strickland interview, you're just like, okay, what crazy thing is he going to say next? Because you know it's not going to be one thing; it's going to be multiple things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, a part of it is like it just feels like a bit. Uh, like I, w- I was seeing this video on on TikTok earlier this morning, and it was from when he was going to fight Alex, and he's talking about what Izzy's Pornhub history looks like. I'm like. <laughs> says this shit yeah yeah it's uh yeah i probably don't want him as a champion i think uh, i think i agree with you the, the more I I mean, think, I like, if if he gets the next title shot can we bring back ufc primetime and so someone's got to follow sean strickland around for like six weeks just filming him no one's gonna do that no cameraman you, is gonna be like oh you you would sign up for that I would not. I don't want to go follow a dude who's got a handgun on the top of his toilet. Are you kidding me? What the hell? Did you see that room tour? Bro, could you imagine being could you imagine being Sean Strickland's neighbor in his apartment complex? Oh, maybe he's a really nice guy. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. He seems like a nice guy. I mean, like 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 sometimes he like pulls off the veil and you can kind of see the real Sean Strickland. You know? Well, that's probably a nice guy who just he I think he does it because it gets him popularity, it makes him money, it puts him in a position where we are talking about him as a potential champion. If Sean Strickland has the personality of a of a two by four, he he's not in that conversation to fight for a championship. 
Look, I'm just telling you this right now. If you were going to go out and out for a night of drinks with a, a UFC fighter, would you pick Sean Strickland or Dan Hooker? I'd pick Dan Hooker because I think Dan Hooker would be hilarious to go out drinking with. Yeah, he'd be great. I mean, that's the pick, and especially because you know you probably won't end up in a fight or arrested if you're with Dan Hooker. And look, I mean, Dan Hooker's got himself one hell of an opponent, dude, against Jalen Turner. I feel for Dan Hooker because, like, Jalen Turner is probably one of the more underrated lightweights right now. Yeah, like you, you look at lightweights where the talent level maybe doesn't match the hype. Jalen's up there. He lost a close fight against Gamrot last time out. He's a really, really good fighter. I, I like Jalen to win big here. Stylistically, this is a fun matchup. Like, you talk about when UFC puts on these pay-per-views and you just look stylistically of it being a fun fight. Is I don't really see either one of these guys shooting for a takedown unless they're rocked. I, I just think it's, it's a striking matchup. I really just don't like it, a matchup for Dan Hooker at this point. How does he deal with kind of the length? That Jalen Turner has. I think Jalen Turner goes out there, and uh, I, I would imagine, I, I feel like late second, early third round um, victory for Jalen Turner here. Yeah, I'm going to go distance. I'm going to go this one goes all three rounds. I just, uh, I'm really high on Jalen Turner. I, I really am. I mean, having watched that game route fight, even with the loss, he impressed me, and, and he's impressed me up until that run as well. And this is just a really good addition to this pay-per-view. Yeah, but I, I'm looking forward to uh, I'm going to go out, uh, watch the bar. I'm interested to kind of see how fans react to the fights on Saturday night. So uh, if you're in the uh, South Tampa area, probably you, you'll know where I'll be. All you got to do is follow me on Instagram. You'll know where I'll be. Uh, but Daniel, I want to get to the WTF moment of the week. Tim Sylvia's on Submission Radio, uh, a podcast I, I, I check out every once in a while. I like to listen to their interviews. And this is Tim Sylvia's quote about Francis Ngannou. I don't think Francis is that good. He's a monster with heavy hands, but his punches come from his hips, and he swings wild and crazy. He hits you, you're going to sleep, but a technical fighter like Jones and Stipe, they beat him again. You saw what he did to Gon. He wouldn't even stand up with him. He took him down. It was an ugly fight. He talks a lot about winning a fight than defending against the real Gon. I'll destroy him in my prime. If we fought right now, he beats me. But in my prime, if we could go back in time and and I'm in my prime, he's in his prime. I destroy him. He's too wild. I was more a technical striker than he is. What the fuck, Daniel? Hey, you know what? Hey, bro. Tim Sylvia in his prime was a UFC heavyweight champion. Bro, he was a UFC heavyweight champion. What? 46-year-old right? Randy Couture came out of retirement because he knew he could beat him. Listen, Francis Ngannou isn't as impressive. I mean, excuse me. Francis Ngannou is more impressive than Jeff Munson. Right? More impressive than Andre Arlovsky, even though Andre was really, really cool back then. And he still was cool. But back then he had, like, the hair and the, the, he was awesome. But, uh, yeah, there's a difference between uh, – Tim Sylvia in 2006, 2008, 2007, and uh, Francis now. If Francis existed in 2007, the way he is now, and he went to the UFC, he would he would probably destroy Tim Sylvia. But but I will say, you know, a little respect for Tim Sylvia. You know, he, he was he was uh, he was a successful UFC heavyweight champion, Jason. But uh, yeah, I think Francis runs through him. Dude, like, come on, man, like. The skill level of fires is so much better. And the biggest example is Randy Couture came out of time. By the way, Randy Couture just turned 60. I don't know if you've seen Randy recently. Bro, dude looks amazing. 
I'm like, I, mean, I want to be six years old looking like that. He's looked the same since yeah, he fought yeah. in the UFC. He hasn't aged at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's the cool thing about being famous. Whenever you're like in your late 30s or early 40s, that's when people start to know you. They're like, oh, you have not changed. Well, sometimes people don't really change that often until they just hit a hard wall. But uh, that's crazy to think that Randy's 60 years old. That is really, really crazy to think about. Dude, I know. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of other MMA podcasts, I was listening to uh, the Anakin Florian podcast, and it was interesting to kind of hear Kenny Florian's uh, thought process about the Natan Schultz and, and Houseman Fio situation. I thought that was kind of interesting, and uh, I think he gave a, a great side of that story, and uh, it seems like a story has kind of gone away. <laughs> not, not much talk about it, uh, but of course, we're in a sport where something changes every day, and all of a sudden what was a hot topic one day is kind of a story that's just forgotten about. I mean, it's not only a sport, it's a life thing. Well, we got the memory of goldfishes now. I mean, we don't focus on things for extended periods of time. Think about the news cycle and how often the storylines change. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, the only – a couple of weeks ago, you go to a water cooler, and the only thing people want to talk about is the damn submarine the last time you had a conversation about the submarine this week. Nope, we're moving on to something else. And, and you know, two weeks ago, everyone was an expert about um, submarines. So that's life, bro. Every single week nowadays, it's a new topic. It's a new conversation, right? One week, it's James Krause is uh, out of the fight game. And now we're just never talking about it again, apparently. You know, and especially when one of his uh, former fighters is literally fighting on the paper this week. No wonder who's giving him any advice. Um, probably not. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's no longer a talking point. Maybe it will be whenever Shane Burgos fights in the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Manfio and Schultz in the off season if they re up with PFL or I don't know if their contract situation is still going on. But if I'm either of those dudes, I am saying peace out, bro. I am out. Yeah, I mean, I, I still. I still look at that situation. I just go, PFL, why'd you make the matchup? Like, that's where I stick with that is like, why'd you make the matchup? You knew how close these two guys were. Like, if it was the playoffs, totally get why you say, hey, guys, this is the way the seeding worked. You got to fight each other. But in regular season, I, I mean, look, the fighters deserve a lot of blame, too. No, no question about it. But like, I, I look at that and say, PFL, you got to you got to take this one on the chin, too. Like, you, you, you have a lot of fault in this one. Like, they, they, the PFL likes to say they don't have matchmakers. Yeah, you have fucking matchmakers. You have to matchmake the regular season. By the way, speaking of other things I've seen online. So obviously you're in this wrestling world seeing all this this discussion about Ronda Rousey and, and how her, her time in the WWE is, it sounds like, is coming to an end, that she has a hard out day. And people are throwing this out her of her coming back to the UFC. Why? Why? Yeah, why? Uh, she hasn't fought in MMA since 2016, and we all saw how those last two fights went. Okay, but hear me out. I'm pretty sure she could beat Misha Tate. So let's do a Mission Tate rematch. The the only thing I can think of is is if you're Juliana Pena, it's Ooh. a fight that brings you a lot of notoriety. I mean, uh, apparently Juliana Pena cannot get past Amanda Nunez retiring. She had spouted off again this week. It's like just move on. Like, There's no other fighter she can talk about to get her in the headlines though, and you know Juliana's all about the headline. 
Look, here's the thing about Ronda coming back. You guys play. Money, 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 money. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that, but like, bro. Money. Look, man. How many? Okay. If you if you looked, let me pull up the top 10 in the UFC women's band weight division. And how many people would you pick Ronda to beat her? Let me pull it up. There's here. more than you think. I don't, bro. I don't know. That bantamweight division is not great. All right, bantamweight division here. Okay, so you got Juliana Pena. I would not pick Ronda Rousey. It'd be close. Raquel Pennington. No, I'd pick Raquel. Holly Holm. I would pick Holly Holm. Caitlin Vieira. I would pick Caitlin Vieira. Arena Aldana. I would pick Arena Aldana. We're already at number six. I know, but now now we're starting to talk about people. I think Ronda can beat. Panny Kianzad. Maybe, maybe Ronda could beat her. It's possible. Yana Santos. Possibly. I mean, I was not impressed with Santos or Carol Rosa last week. So I mean, Macy Chieson. I mean, Macy probably wins, but Rousey could win. Carol Hosa. Yeah, I would pick. I mean, I'd pick Rousey. Screw it. Way Buena Silva. Okay, yeah, maybe Silva. Then you get Misha Tate at number eleven. There's the fight, my man. That's the fight you make, Tate and Rousey. Oh, you know, trip down memory lane, and you could do Rousey versus Gina Carano. I, and, I mean, like, I, I, I somewhat follow the WWE product, but I just, I, everything I, I it's, I guess this is my outside view looking in, is that it, it would seem like Rousey's kind of at a point in her life that, that she's ready to kind of stop the competitive lifestyle. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm wrong. No, I think that's probably where it's at. I mean, she's, she marches to the beat of her own drum. I mean, how, said, how old is Ryan? 36. I looked it up. Uh, 36 years old. So I, I I think, yeah, I think she's content just to live her life. And I guarantee you she already has all that money, 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 money. I mean, look, she the one thing for Rhonda is she probably thought she could become an actress. And that really hasn't worked out. Um so she's probably got to do other things, but who knows? Maybe she can fight Kayla Harrison. By the way, I'm still surprised we really haven't seen any much crossover promotion between the UFC and WWE. Yeah, maybe they didn't want to do it right away to not scare off either fan base, but I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure in those amazing Endeavor board meetings, they have some phenomenal ideas or just put it together. They're like, all right. Well, first they had to figure out how many people from WWE they can fire to make the most profit, and once they figure <laughs> that out, then they'll cost promote. Yeah, man. I, I, I feel like if it was a a UFC card in front of fans that you need to maybe get a little pop, just have Roman and and, and the Usos just show up. Yeah, yeah. Especially, uh, yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. Or or the Undertaker can't go wrong with the Undertaker, and. Uh, yeah, and Gable Stevenson debuted, or not debuted, but he had a big moment on the NXT programming this week, suplexing some people. So, um, yeah, I'm sure the cross-promoting will happen. I'm sure Connor will be in a WWE ring at some point. He'll probably knock somebody out, but, um, you know. I, I saw the Gable clip. I mean, impressive, you know, a suplex he had there. But, like, you think that was his real gold medal? No. <laughs> no, of course not. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. That does not come out of the house. That does not come out of the vault. Why do I feel like it's he has been training for like two years? Is is it maybe only been a year? I feel like it's only been a year because he did announce he's going to go back and compete another year in college. 
but I feel like it was about a year ago he signed. I want to say it was like, I mean, he signed like around, like, was it SummerSlam? Was SummerSlam in Vegas last year? Because that's yeah, what I, I feel like he's, he, he announced that he was signing with WWE. He signed in 2021. So it has been a couple of years. Well, but was that the, was that the NIL deal though? Yeah, I feel like his initial contract with them was an NIL deal. Yeah, yeah, which was before the Tokyo Olympics in 2021. So it's been a while. It's been a while, but it takes a while. And, and I'm sure he's been still doing the amateur training because he wants that, to probably compete more. I feel like that's going to be one of the guys that you kind of look at, and and if he ultimately just you know goes down the professional wrestling route of. It's going to be one of those questions of, I guess, I, I kind of like Jordan Burroughs. Like, what would have ever happened if they came to mixed martial arts? What Would they have been on the same prospect trajectory as, say, a Bo Nickel? You know, I, I think it's possible. But I think the fact that they weren't that committed to mixed martial arts tells me the answer is no. Because it's more than just being a great wrestler. That'll get you, a, that'll get you some wins. But... You gotta want to have that stand up. You gotta want to improve. You gotta want to be a UFC champion to be a UFC champion. So Gable and Jordan Burroughs both were like, "Eh, kind of want to do this. Kind of want to do that." I wouldn't have confidence in them becoming a UFC champion. I mean, some people were able to do it. I mean, Brock Lesnar was able to get out of bed and become a UFC champion. Some people are that special, and they certainly might have that potential. But I wouldn't bet on them. I would bet on Bo Nickel. But I wouldn't bet on them. I don't know if, like, say, a Brock has ever been asked this or, or a Ron has been asked this. Like, what's more of a grind? MMA training or the lifestyle of being a WWE performer? I would imagine it's got to be MMA training for sure. I mean, they might tell you. I, 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 I can see it both ways, though, just because of, I guess, depending on maybe how much you're working in, in, in terms of in-ring on professional wrestling, I can see where you could maybe say pro wrestling is as hard or maybe even harder just because of all the bumps that you're maybe potentially taking three, four nights a week if you're a full-time you know, wrestler. Yeah, I mean, the hardest part of being a full-time pro wrestler is to travel. You get paid to travel. That's it. That's the job is traveling. So three to four times a week, airport, hotel, airport, hotel. You're more tired than usual. Obviously, the bumps do hurt. With MMA, there's more time spent training, way more time spent training in the gym every single day. Because if you don't spend that time, your opponent's going to knock you the F out. Uh, There's differences. But, um, I mean, it's two completely different lifestyles. Yeah, I I mean, next time I I talk to somebody who's done both, I think that may be a a question I throw out there. Just like, hey, what's what's the harder grind? I mean, I, I... I can see it either way. I, I really can see it either way. I, I, it probably depends on what your your schedule's like, but I would also, I think you bring up the great point of like, hey, if you're an MMA fighter, you could be sleeping in your own bed pretty much every night of the week. And yeah. anyone who's done that travel lifestyle knows that some hotel beds may just aren't, you know, aren't the most comfortable for the type of bed that you like. Yeah, especially, I mean, I know I'm a, I have sometimes trouble. I mean, I had trouble sleeping last night in my own bed, so that happens all the time, especially in a new bed. And yeah, man, maybe you should hit up Tom Lawler and, and talk to him. Dude, He's, he'd give you a good perspective. I used to sleep so damn good. Now it's it's so hit or miss. It's so hit it's, or miss. Yeah, yeah. The, and the hard part isn't the sleeping part for me. It's getting to sleep. Sometimes it's oh my. Uh, God, uh, it's not. 
that's not necessarily my issue. My issue is more being able to stay asleep. Oh yeah, no, I can't. I, I I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Once we start getting once once I go to sleep, if I wake up, I can go back to sleep. But it's that initial transition to uh, I'm awake. My mind is racing. I'm thinking about all these things. Wow, I'm still awake. Oh, why am I still awake? Oh, I need to be. I need to wake up early tomorrow. Oh man, I have five hours left. Oh man, I have four hours. Yeah, like that. Yeah, no, no, I've been there. And then you start sitting on your phone and you start scrolling on whatever your preferred. I do not do that. That is dangerous. I do not do that because that is you're asking to stay up an extra thirty minutes if you do that, dude. If you pick up the phone, oh, and I yeah, and I know how easy it is to do it. I mean, I thought about doing it last night. Guilt, guilty as charged. Said, <laughs> guilty yeah, as charged. No. I, 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 bro, yeah. it's like you get on TikTok, you start, start you start scrolling through things, and uh, and like if you want to know how much Big Brother is watching what you do, just get a TikTok account because literally videos will come up that you'd be like, "Yep, yeah, I can relate to that. That's definitely going on in my life. I can relate to that. Yep, Dude, that's going on in my life." I just need to say like goldfish crackers. And like I'm gonna see goldfish crackers on my Instagram feed right now, you know they're listening in. Oh no, yeah, it, dude, it's our conversation, dude. It's it sometimes a, you know it's just crazy, and especially like you know you search for something online, then magically you see that sponsored post come up in your uh, your social media timeline. Yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Stop spying on me. Yeah, like I, I was thinking about this. Okay, for for people going out for UFC 290. Is there a drinking game for UFC 290? So, like in a bar scenario, for the most part, you may not be able to hear Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier, very good. So, like it'd be very easy if you're sitting at home to have a drinking game related to, to Joe Rogan. By the way, I did something last week I've never done before. What's that? Uh, I had a pickleback shot. I had multiple pickleback shots. <laughs> you ever what had is, a pickleback shot? No, man. Shot of JMO. Wash it down with a shot of pickle juice. You had multiple of those? Yeah, we had like three. Oh, my gosh. Your poor stomach must have been <laughs> making some type of noise, bro. You're drinking half the damn pickle jar. I mean, I'm in that Uber after going, oh, man, I bet it's going to feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Damn, that is crazy. That is crazy. Well, I hope you have a good weekend, man. I hope the uh, hope the vibes are immaculate. I hope the crowd shows up for the pay-per-view and the bar. I'm excited to see which fighters resonate with the casuals. I think that's the cool that, thing about getting that perspective. That, to me, is the most interesting thing about watching a UFC event at a bar is, is to see how people interact with, with the fights. And I, I think there's there's times where, like, you think a fighter is such a huge star, and then I go out to watch the fights, and I'm like, wow, it seems like no one cares. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll get that perspective. We'll see how Bo Nickel resonates with people. We'll see. I, I did see crap. I did see a video of two guys that you would not think getting along pairing in a video to the getting along together. Izzy and John Jones. Yeah. John They were acting all buddy buddy. Wow. Wow, read those old tweets, John <laughs> to Izzy. That's crazy. Where was that video at? I'm, I'm guessing I'd be in Vegas. Well, that's kind of scary. John Jones is in Vegas. Uh oh. Yeah. Watch out. Yeah. I know. Data White's like, we gotta get John out of town. We gotta get him out of town. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. See the video they have here. 
Yeah. Wow, that's that sucks. They squash their beef because I want to see them fight each other. But I don't think that happens. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think. By, by the way, speaking of MMA social media, I don't know if you've seen Alex Perhair. Of course, fights here at the end of the month against Jan Blachowicz. Now weighing 230 pounds and just looks, I mean, good Lord. What a scary man. So he, picked, he picked up all the weight that Overeem dropped after he gave up horse meat, huh? Yeah, apparently Overeem still wants to have one or two more fights. Yeah. What are we doing here? That's it's this sport, Brent. It's this sport. They, yeah, we're they, talking about a sport where last week you bring up the fact of Verdum and JDS are fighting in bare knuckle MMA. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Bigfoot Silva doesn't want to retire. I mean, bro, like sometimes this sport, I just go, what the fuck is going on? I know, bro. The next thing people are going to hear, like, Gerard Gordeaux is back. You know, if you see one veteran, Gerard Gordeaux, which I wonder what he's up to. There's all, dude, there will always be a promoter that is open. I saw, I'm not sure if it's an MMA matchup or it's a grappling matchup. I saw Gray Maynard. Uh, has got a competition booked here, I want to say, sometime this month, I want to say. But the the poster did indicate whether it was a grappling or um, or MMA. I know Gray's, um, I want to say Gray's living back up in, in Michigan now. He's running a gym oh, wow. um, with his wife. Because I'm associated with wow. a po- I produce a podcast, and he was one of their guests. And, and I want to I say he was up in Michigan. Well, I, I like the grappling matchups. That makes me feel good. I mean, what worries me for these older fighters is, is, the, is the head trauma, the concussion. So anything involving strikes, I, I dislike for someone who's had a long career and is in their mid-40s. But um, grappling, that's fine, obviously. That, I mean, and that's what you can do into your old age. And that's why I've talked about like what I love about one championship is like you get all forms of martial arts. And you know what? I don't. I don't. I, I like watching grappling matchups. And, and if you got, you know, I mean, look, I, I don't want to see a, an aging fighter say go up against Craig Jones because Craig Jones is just going to, you know, steam through him. But like, if you told me Verdum was having a jujitsu matchup against, I'm just trying to think of, of an older heavyweight. You know, like it was Verdum and Ryan Bader. Sure. As a grappling yeah. matchup, sure, got no problem with that. But I, I don't want to yeah. see I don't want to see Verdum take on Ryan Bader because I feel like Ryan Bader would knock him out. Exactly, exactly. But a grappling matchup, I'm all in. You yeah, know, it, it's safe, it's fun. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, obviously the UFC is doing more of that stuff with their UFC Invitational. So, but uh, I'm looking going out for uh, UFC 290. Probably, you know, probably spend the afternoon at the pool. You know, because I don't know, I don't know. I got we got uh here in the city of Tampa, they sent us a text and a call yesterday warning us about uh high heat of a feel like temperature of one ten. Yeah, that's crazy. Is it that hot in the Rio that's Grande right cool. now? Uh today it's not, but it has been that hot before in the past like last week. Today it's actually a little cooler. Um, but the past couple of weeks it's been feels like one nineteen. Uh, it has. <laughs> so it is 9.53 a.m. here in Tampa. According to my Apple Watch, it's 88 degrees outside. Yeah. yeah Has it being uh, 93 degrees at 1 o'clock? Yeah, it absolutely sucks. It absolutely sucks, man. Yeah, a high that. of uh, 94. Wow, yeah. It's a, it's a little hotter today for you than it is for me. Most days I got you beat. 
but uh yeah, yeah I got you you got me beat today yeah but a that's cool uh today. a little cool today but of course, uh, of course, as always, we appreciate everyone taking time to uh, download, listen to this episode of the podcast, rocking with us here on the MMA Report podcast. Of course, uh, be sure to check out the interviews I have over uh, on the MMA Report YouTube channel. Of course, I mentioned about that Jay Perrin interview. Also, uh, got some other interviews to, to line up there. Earl Small, who just won a middleweight title, uh, definitely a middleweight prospect, plus got another interview. That'll be uh, dropping tomorrow here on, on the MMA Report YouTube channel, so be sure to check out that. Of course, uh, if you ever got any questions, comments, uh, you can slide those Instagram DMs and uh, always will answer those questions. But that's going to do it for this episode of the MMA Report podcast. You can always hear on the podcasting platforms and on the MMA Report YouTube channel. 